What's happening, everybody? Welcome back to Answering Questions from Reddit, and I am your host, Lucky, or Mental Health Casual, whatever you guys prefer. I thought I'd introduce myself a little bit differently since they're always the same, and I keep, every time I hear them back a little bit, I don't listen to them back a lot since I don't actually edit these, but every now and then I just hear it, I'm just like, mm, I don't know. You guys ever get that where you get the same thing over and over again, and you're just like, even if it might be good in some senses, you just... Just something about it makes you feel like, uh, you know, I wish they'd switch it up a little bit, you know. I, I get that sometimes, but man, when you get a really good anime opener, I mean, oh my goodness gracious, it is one of the most tremendous things in the world. But anyway, for any of you that are new to the answering questions from Reddit segment that I do pretty much almost every day, basically what I do is I take three separate subreddits about mental health and, you know, give my advice or, you know, maybe we learn something together. So let's go ahead and get into these. There is the, uh, let's start with this one. So there is the addiction subreddit, the sad subreddit, and the anxiety subreddit. And usually I read these in order of what I'm going to, you know, which ones I'm going to read first. So let's start off with addiction. Let's see here. Why one more time is the name of this post. One thing that kind of baffles me in recovery is how that one more time effect, uh, how that quote unquote one more time effect still goes on. I'm 11 months sober from alcohol and around 10 from other substances. I'm doing my steps and all that good stuff and it's going well. I still think I've shifted my addictions through, though to food and other things that aren't good for me. And deep down for and deep down and for long-term goals I don't want to be doing. It's like I've got to the point where I've realized this and where I'm making a conscious choice when I sabotage my progress because it doesn't make sense and I can't I can't and won't blame it on anything. I'm just deciding to do something I don't, I know I don't want to do. There's always this after I'll stop doing it mentality, and I know it's bullshit, yet it's always there. I just can't seem to understand or overcome that. I just keep making these decisions that my higher self doesn't really want me to make. Self-sabotage. Is there any literature or good explanations out there why we why we do this shit? Anybody, any, anything that anybody ever comes across that snapped, me, snapped them out of it? Much love, comrades. Well, I think one of the biggest books that I ever read was from this guy named Eckhart Tolle or Tolle. I don't know. I keep on hearing it multiple ways and it really annoys me because I can't I can't figure out for the death of me how to pronounce it. But I read a book. So he has a book called The Power of Now, which a lot of people talk about. But I read one called The New Earth. And there was a lot of mindfulness in that book. And I think that's really what is the problem with this one more time mentality is that it's not actually very mindful. You're just kind of going off of an instinct that you need something more, despite the fact you don't need anything. You re you actually don't need that thing in this moment, right? It, there's a big difference between somebody drinking water for thirst and going to alcohol for, you know, that, that knee jerk reaction, right? So I think any book on mindfulness would be a great benefit to you. But Eckhart Tolle in, in particular was a very good one for me. And it's very, it's weird because once you read it, you kind of, it's, it's almost like hypnotic to a certain degree. I, I don't want to make it sound like it's some magical book or anything, but it really does help you start to, because every now and then he'll, he'll not call you out, but he'll ask you to do something like, well, okay, now you're, now be aware of your breathing. How are you breathing? How often do you actually think about your breathing in your everyday life? It not very often, unless you are purposefully, purposefully 
paying attention to that. So I would say anything with any type of book with mindfulness at, at its core would be a good, you know, a good um, resource for you. So let's check out this one. It's a nice short one. Day six. I'm on, I'm, I'm on day six off of meth, exhausted and bored at the same time, but going strong regardless. Just wanted to share my, uh, and any advice is welcomed. Yeah. Meth is a pretty difficult one. I, I, I don't really have a whole lot of, experience with with uh that particular drug if i'm being real with you i've just never really i've never really met anybody that's done it surprisingly enough like i've most of my friends have done a lot of things but never met anybody that did that in particular but yeah i mean good good job for you man i, I like to read these little success stories of people that are you know or that are able to get past this just because i think just because Sometimes when we are reading these mental illness, mental health, or addiction, oh, same thing, right? Whenever we're in these subreddits, a lot of them are people trying to reach out for help. So it's always good to read these ones where people are actually finding success in their daylight lives. Now, six days doesn't seem like a lot, but I guarantee you those first three days were very challenging. It, it, I definitely feel that way. I definitely felt that way when I was... I had first quit uh, marijuana at first because it, it was part of, so so much a part of my daily life that I didn't know what it, my daily life looked like without it. You know, I'd wake up, I'd smoke my bong, I you know my friends would come over, we'd smoke a blunt. It, it just became such a part, uh, such a habit of my life that my body just didn't know what to do when I wasn't smoking. So, you know, I good props to you. And I usually once you get past the first, I, I don't know how it is for meth, but I, I would say. For most addictions, I think there's usually like a month or two period. Was it 90 days? I think maybe so. Maybe about three months. There's this period where after, if you can make it past that, statistically, you'll probably you'll probably feel a little bit. You'll it'll be a little bit easier, right? But those first three months, or is it is that three? Yeah, it's about three months. Uh, after that first three months, you start to it starts to get a little bit easier from there. So let's read the next one. Relapsed and went to work is the next post. I fucked up bad. Relapsed from my meth. Relapsed from meth after after about a year and a half clean. Stayed up all night railing Ill, uh, railing lines and went into work the next morning like a fucking idiot. I work in a retail pharmacy, so even worse. I lasted about an hour before I told my boss I feel like shit and I need to go home. I think everybody knew what was up. I was sweating like crazy. My skin was discolored, widened eyes from being awake all night, and dilated pupils. I fucked up bad. More than likely going to get fired, which sucks being because I enjoy my job. Drugs fucking suck. Yeah, there is... Now, it's not guaranteed they know exactly what is going on. Now, granted, you work at a pharmacy, so maybe it's a little bit more obvious. I, I don't know. But I would go to my work high all the time. Now, granted, that was marijuana, and it was kind of an accepted thing in the Bay Area. So... And I didn't really show it nearly as much unless I messed up and ended up smoking an Indica during the freight team shift that I had. But with that, I wouldn't worry too much about the job and all that stuff. Sure, that is a possibility, but I would more worry about the the relapse itself, right? A year and a half is a long time to go without doing something and then just getting back on it. Is That's a, that's a real rough relapse right there. So when you when you get something like that, I would just say first off to forgive learn to forgive yourself because that's going to be very key because if you just keep on hating yourself 
then you start to not respect yourself. And once you start not respect, once you stop respecting yourself, you start putting things in your body that you don't want because it's, you know, oh, I'm just a piece of shit anyway. I might as well keep going. Not saying this is the way that you'll go down, but I'm just saying this is something that I've dealt with, right? The, the more you the more you disrespect yourself, the more you disrespect your body, the more you, you put things that disrespect your body into you. And just it, it, it goes into a pretty dark spiral as soon as that kind of happens. So, yeah, that's just my take on that. Why don't we head over, excuse me, to the sad subreddit. And these, yeah, these are all, these are kind of all over the place a lot. So let's check this out. Is that, uh, this is a really long one. Let's go to another one. I, I, I feel bad because I don't like to, I don't like to, how do you say it? I don't like to read these really long ones because they take up a lot of time. Whereas I could do multiple of the short ones, but you know, if you guys ever get a chance, uh, as I usually do, I do put these subreddits in the description box down below. So if you guys ever do want to become a part of these subreddits and check, you know, and check, uh, check them out, become part of their community or even, you know, comment on some of these, you're more than welcome to as well. So I have a friend around and she's getting along with my mom so much more than we do. Uh, okay, that's an interesting one. I feel like I just don't belong. They're having all the conversations we're supposed to. I kind of want her to just leave now. So, I mean, this can happen, and it's a very strange, how do I say this? It's a very strange dynamic with your with somebody in your family that interacts with you, whereas when they're interacting with somebody else, because it's a new experience, right? There's this strange hedonic treadmill effect, right? The hedonic treadmill is basically when you are so, when you are so accustomed to something that you end up getting, it becomes your normal, right? So this is why rich people can still experience sadness despite having all these things that they have because they're so used to it that anything that goes below what they're used to getting ends up making them sad. Just like if we were to lose, you know, a hundred dollars, if they lost, you know, a hundred dollars, if they lost like a thousand dollars or something like that, it would still affect them the same way. So when you're looking at this, I think that your, your mom probably just has gotten so used to you guys that she doesn't have the same conversations that she would with other people. I mean, I have this with my family. I have very intimate conversations with people that are on my podcast and all that stuff, but I don't exactly have the same conversations with my family just because I've been through a lot of that already. And I just feel, I feel more comfortable talking about it with my friends. You know, you have to kind of figure out who you're more comfortable talking to in a lot of these senses, but it's not like we never have any, you know, heartwarming conversations or anything. It's just, it's not nearly as often as I do with, with my friends, you know? So uh, those are just some ideas that, uh, that I have about it. Let's see. What's the point? Is the next the title for the next post? Uh, oh, and yeah, sorry for for that person as well. I would just say, you know, maybe inserting yourself into the conversation more would help you out. This is the problem with. It sounds. This has some shades of social anxiety to it. When you insert yourself into the conversation a little bit more, you feel like you have a little bit more fire. Now you don't have to go like you don't have to insert yourself as in like just interrupting everything that they're saying, but. Getting to the point where you can ask questions, because asking questions are, surprisingly enough, they are actually a really good icebreaker into a conversation. Because A, they set the person up to talk to you, which is weird because you're kind of tricking them into starting the conversation. But what you're really doing is asking them a question. And it could be something that you really want to know about. So let's say this friend and your mom are talking about something that you have no idea about. 
then why don't you ask the friend? So how do you know so much about this? You know, what, where, where did you get all this knowledge from? Are you into this? Are you participating in this? Like if it's a sport or something like that. So just some things that I've learned from my social anxiety over the years is to ask questions because that is what's going to propel people or it's going to encourage people to talk to you because most of the time people want to hear themselves talk. Not all the time, right? You'll meet some people that'll give you like short one to two word answers. So then maybe you start talking, you start taking over the conversation. It's a lot like a dancing thing, right? If you're, if you're dancing, somebody leads, somebody follows that kind of thing. So it, Everybody has their own place in a conversation and everybody has ways that they feel comfortable in a conversation. So figuring that out is going to be key in this. But uh, yeah, good luck with that. It doesn't mean your mom loves you any less. It's just it's just what happens when you end up meeting somebody new that has, you know, these kind of conversations. It's just what happens. I've, I've definitely had some very interesting, interesting conversations with some of my friends, parents, and, you know, you, you do, it's just a lot different. So. What, so what is the point is the title. The next one, after you break up with someone, everybody tells you to work on yourself and keep improving, that things get better. I've done that time and time again, and everybody is always like, wow, you're so put together and have all these skills that girls will love and find attractive someday, but there's no point in having all these skills and hobbies if there's nobody to share them with. Loving yourself can only get you so far, and it's not quite, it's not, uh, quite as when somebody else loves you. Uh, I think there's hold on. loving yourself can only get you so far and it's not quite I'm just gonna say like when somebody loves you somebody else loves you girl girls always leave no matter how hard I try to be a fantastic boyfriend that they can be proud of to date I just want somebody to love me the same way I love them I'm so tired of pouring my heart and soul into someone to be left empty-handed and yet I keep doing it because I don't want to be alone forever yeah so you have to be very careful of this desperation. It's okay if you are a girl doing this, and even then, it's not even that okay. But for a guy, especially if you're a heterosexual male, it is not the best to to show this kind of desperation. And I think the point of working on yourself is actually not for somebody else. It's it's that's a that's a great side effect of working on yourself, but that shouldn't be your main purpose. It shouldn't be your main goal in any of this, right? So me doing these podcasts are, it's not because I want some woman to find, oh, you're, you want to date a podcaster? You know, it's not, it's not exactly why I do these things. Now, if somebody ends up finding me attractive because of it, that is awesome. I would love, you know, that, that would be a great bonus, but ultimately I just don't think that that is a great motivating factor the point of working on yourself, I'm assuming that is actually what you're asking, right? The point of working on yourself is so that you are self-sustaining. The The problem with the desperation that it sounds like you're having is when you're that desperate to actually find somebody and you sound like you're kind of young. I'm not, I'm not, I'm just going to assume this, that maybe you're in your early twenties. If you, if that is the case, I would say just keep working on yourself a little bit more because men typically hit their, their, I don't want to say sexual peak, but you know, when women find them the most attractive is after the age of like 28 and 29, because girls don't like the immaturity of young guys, but they, you know, obviously they have the looks and all that kind of stuff down, but typically women will date older men just because they are not all of them, of course. Right. But it's more likely that you'll find a woman dating an older man than a man, a guy dating an older woman. But yeah, you know, not saying that doesn't happen sometimes, but yeah, I would just say, just keep working on yourself and find your why don't, don't find somebody else's why. So what I mean by that is when you're working on yourself, 
don't ask yourself, well, why would somebody want me if I'm not doing this? You should be asking, well, why am I doing this? For I'm doing this for myself. I'm doing this to be the best version of me. That's really what you should be asking yourself. You should be trying to figure out mostly because you're going to be number one in your universe. I don't care what anybody else tells you. I don't care how selfish that sounds or anything like that. You're you are number one in your universe. And even when you have a kid, you have to think about it like the the in if you're in an airplane, when the masks come down, you always put your ears on first so you can help the kid next to you. You know, you have to take care of yourself first because if you don't, you won't be there to be able to take you won't be able to take care of somebody to their your full abilities. So listen, that that should be reason enough for you to to worry about yourself and to fix yourself and to work on yourself. Uh, just make sure it's self-sustaining. It's something that you can actually figure out through, you know, it's, it make sure it's something that you can actually figure out that it, it'll actually keep going despite you not being in a relationship. You know, if it's, if it only works, if you're in a relationship, then it's not self-sustaining, you know, let's keep going. Nobody cares about me. This is under the flare loneliness. If you guys don't know what flares are, they just basically show you roughly what it's kind of like a subject of it, right? It's kind of it kind of shows you roughly what you're going to be reading. Every time I say how I, every time I say how I feel, either people ignore me or treat it as a joke. I'm the kind of person who needs constant attention and support, but I think the only way is to keep my problems to myself, because that way I don't bother anyone and it doesn't bother me how their answers may be. But I just can't. So I have a, I had a friend like this that would constantly tell everybody how depressed she was and all that kind of stuff. You have to be you have to realize there is a time and there's a place for that. But if you oversaturate your conversations with the way that you feel, the the depression and all that stuff, you have to be really careful about that because if you oversaturate it, people are always going to be listening and they're going to be like, "Oh my god, here she goes again. Here he goes again." You know, it it doesn't really it's not great to keep on oversaturating your conversations with such dark topics unless you're in a crowd like that. If you're in a community that is that's that it's that's what it's all about then go for it but it, generally speaking people don't always want to talk about depression and anxiety listen i know they're very important topics but if you're out at a bar if you're out with your friends it's not exactly something that you want to be talking about people are typically there to i mean let's face it probably try and forget some of their problems that they're dealing dealing with in their everyday life so if you're bringing your own problems to a place to the realm of fun People don't typically don't want to hear it. It's just kind of how it is. Now, I'm not exactly wired that way, but I know that a lot of my friends are kind of wired that way to a huge degree. So you have to be very careful about who you're sharing those things with. It can be very, it, it can, it shows the lack of social skills in that case because you're not reading the room, you're not being able to do this. I'm not saying that it is a bad thing that you want to talk about your problems. The other problem would be is, are, are you listening to your friends when they give you advice? You know, if, if they are giving you advice, that's the other problem is if you're not listening to your friends when they say, oh, well, maybe you should do this or this, even if it doesn't work for you, then I would still say try it. And that way you can at least say that you've done something. Uh, th that's very specific to my friend in particular. Um, but as for you, you know, I would just say, listen, figure out the time and the place for those things okay or find a therapist of some sort and get that get your get it off your chest there those people are literally paid to go to listen to you so try try that uh okay let's check it out we are over in the anxiety subreddit something i have a lot of <laughs> something that i have a lot of uh 
a lot of uh, experience with. Let's see. Anyone else live in an almost completely live in almost completely so antisocial life and are okay with it? I've been the socially anxious type since I was a kid. I get especially anxious around people I find attractive. After high school ended, everyone I was close to kind of just faded out of my life. I still have a few close friends I hang out with occasionally, but overall my life is pretty alone. I don't use social media because Reddit. Oh, besides Reddit, and I barely even talk to my parents. It's usually they talk and I listen. The thing is, I'm completely fine with it. I don't feel sad or lonely. Anyone else antisocial as shit? So yeah, you're probably an intro, like a natural introvert. Now, as long as you're okay with it, I don't really have a problem with this post. The problem comes when I would just say the the problem with living an antisocial life is what happens when the shit hits a fan, right? When the shit hits the fan and you don't have that many people there. Now, if if you have very close friends and they are there with you thick and, through thick and thin, then I'm oh, I'm absolutely okay with this. If though shit hits the fan and they are not there and you don't have enough friends to actually help you out, then I would worry about this a little bit more. But it sounds like you're you're fine with that, and as long as it's not because of your like social anxiety or something like that. See, loneliness by choice and loneliness by social anxiety are two very different things. Loneliness by choice just means, hey, I just want to be alone for this. I, you know, I need to do this. I need to do that. But overall, I'd probably say that a more social life would be more beneficial for people overall than an antisocial life. But as I said, if that is working for you, if that doesn't bother you, if that is the if you're fine with the way that you are then by all means live your best life that is that's totally fine with me let's check out the next one i always feel like i'm bothering people every time i think about messaging someone i always think will they uh quote will they think i'm annoying unquote or quote do you really even do they even really care end quote every time i get the same feeling that i'm being annoying or bothering them don't know what to do i'm too afraid to message old friends or just people in general then there's the question will they think i don't care about them because of how little i message them and they don't sorry they're a little too relatable right now and they don't know how hard it is for me to message them by just being a bitch i can't i can't bring myself to me just message them even though i want to anyone got advice yeah so this is something i have a really big problem with i ghost people really bad and it's not it's not good at all i i really i don't like doing it but i do sometimes where i'm just like I'm just like, it's been too long. I can't I can't possibly message them now that it's been three days since our last texting. I can't do that. I can't. I can't. <laughs> and then it ends up going on for months, and they're like, yo, man, what happened to you? And you're just like, fuck. It's even, it's even worse now because they think you're trying to ignore them, but you're not. So, yeah, there is a lot uh, of relatability here. But as for, I would say this, this, hap this is a lot like the first post that we had on here where this person was feeling a lot like you know whenever they would say something about their depression or something like somebody would ignore them all that kind of stuff i would say this is probably a little bit of the same thing so but i don't but not really because you're not met you're not specifically saying you know hey you know, can you, do you have a second to talk or anything like that? That's not what you're doing. So just messaging somebody? No, I don't think that's as big of a problem as what you're thinking. And I I struggle to find anybody who just, you know, gets a random text and is like, oh my God, I can't believe this guy's saying something. Unless it's something that somebody that's just keeps on texting you. I definitely had one person that did this where they just kept texting me and te kept texting me. And it was like, oh my goodness, like leave me alone. Be mainly because it was a girl and I already had a girlfriend. So it, not that I don't think she was interested in me, but it was just, it, it, 
I, I like to be as fair as I can to the person that I'm with. And having some girl text you all over and over and over again is not exactly it's not exactly trust inducing. How about that? So let's see. Does anybody else have anxiety around health and think they're going to die when they have a panic attack? So yeah, yes to the second one. Not exactly. Hmm. Well, let's start with the first one. Does anybody else have anxiety around health? So yes and no. I mean, when I first got my when I got my first shot of the vaccine, I was wondering about what kind of side effects there could be. Now I typically hear there's more side effects with the second shot, but uh, you know, I I'm generally I'm I'm in pretty okay. I, I'm in much better shape than I was like two two or three years ago. So I think in terms of that. I I'm pretty fine, but there was definitely a moment where I was just like, yo, what if this thing, cause one of the side effects of the vaccine was it said like, Oh, if you have trouble breathing, if you have this, and I, I hate having trouble breathing. Cause it reminds me of my, my asthma, which comes on and off in my life, but haven't really had a lot of it since I started getting into more shape, but like not being able to breathe is one of my biggest like fears. You know, whenever I have very shallow breathing, I hate it so much. And it just, yeah, it, it, it's it's a really rough feeling. So yes, in some ways, and and who think they are going to die when they have a panic. So yeah, I mean that's basically what a panic attack feels like, right? You feel you get into this point where you almost feel like you're having a heart attack to a certain degree. Now I don't know exactly what a heart attack feels like, but I've heard that being compared. I don't think they're exactly the same, but yeah, with a panic with a panic attack, it is a very rough experience that fe- makes you feel like because you're in this fight or flight mode where you really feel like you're. It's almost like getting attacked by a really big animal or like like if you were in Africa and you got attacked by a lion, right? That would be really hard. Like, you know, you your blood would be pumping because you'd be trying to get away from this predator, all that kind of stuff. So th- imagine that, but nothing is actually happening around you and you just get into a panic attack. So it's like that, but you don't actually have any way of you, you don't feel you don't actually run away from anything. You're just sitting there, you know hyperventilating and all that kind of stuff so yeah as you know that i think feeling like you're gonna die when you have a panic attack is not all that uncommon you know so yeah it's a it's uh it's a very common theme amongst people with panic attacks that they feel like they're gonna die or they feel like they're dying so Let's check out the next one. Social anxiety is the name of this post. My social anxiety has gotten so severe that I'm seriously thinking about moving to a one bedroom and changing my phone number. I feel that all this judgment and humiliation that I've experienced has changed me for the worst. And I'm always looking for a way out. I need my own space and need my personal escape for social gatherings. Even anyone have experience with this? I really need help. Yeah. So, excuse me. Probably you're a lot like me when you get to a social event or something like that. Typically what happens to me is I'll disappear at points when there's like a lot of people around and it's just me walking around the, you know, I I guess an example would be when I was at church for my grandfather's funeral. I, at one point I ended up just walking around the church and, you know, just kind of chilling out and then eventually came back in all that stuff. So, you know, as for that, I definitely... I definitely understand that part of it. And so people with social anxiety, I always tell them, or I always, I always tell them like, like I just, I have my own business guys. I talk to people with social anxiety. I, I help them out. I'm a wellness coach. No, I'm not that. <laughs> uh, but typically the advice I would get, want to give them is find, you know, figure out the exits, right? Figure out where the exits are so that you feel more safe, right? If you're in a, a situation where you can control 
where you know you can get out of it, then that is a-okay. Now, not get out of it as in like just leave the whole event, but where you can get out of it and just chill out for a little bit, right? That's going to be your main thing. Or, you know, just take a bathroom break. Go to the bathroom for like five minutes or something like that and come back out. So I, I have no problem with people doing any of that stuff. But uh, but as for the rest of this, you probably have a lot of the same problems I have, whereas I don't have social anxiety during the interactions as much. I mostly have my social anxiety just kicks in really hard after the fact and really, really hard. It's it's uh, it's very difficult how how much judgment goes in after a social interaction or anything like that. So I would probably say to after you go to a social event, uh, try and get to a quiet place where you can digest what happened. Because if you don't, things are going to start popping in your head very randomly about, you know, oh, my God, I can't believe I said this. I can't believe I said that. What in the world? And it'll come to you really randomly, whether you like it, whether you want it to or not. It's going to come in like a wrecking ball and just wreck a lot of your self-confidence from then on out. So. Uh, you know, as for moving to a one bedroom and changing your phone number, if that's what you want to do, that's totally fine. But don't use it as an excuse to avoid the world. The world is still spinning around just no matter what you do. So as always, guys, I'll have all these three subreddits in the description box down below. Also, you can check out all things casual at our link tree. And also, if you would like to email me for any questions or topics or suggestions or anything like that, you're more than welcome to email me at mentalhealthcasual at gmail.com. But as always, guys, don't forget to keep it. Casual.